four, three, two, one. Belief is a toxic and dangerous attitude towards reality. After all, if it's there, it doesn't require your belief. And if it's not there, why should you believe in it? Terrence McKenna. What do you think about that? Well, I want to hear your thoughts on it first. So initially, I really like this quote. When I first heard it, it was really like uh, soundbitey. You know, it, it sounds good uh, upon right. hearing it. You're like, wow, that's, that's really profound. But as I started thinking about it, I started to see it as nonsense, right? So belief is a toxic and dangerous attitude towards reality. So that initial statement implies that belief is separate towards reality. And I think that when humans come in contact with reality, they have no choice but to believe in it. There's no it, belief is a subconscious action. There's no you don't you can't. I don't, I don't know. I guess you can believe in false reality, but true reality it doesn't require belief. It's just true. So it goes after all, if it's, if it's there, it doesn't require your belief. Exactly. But that doesn't mean you don't believe in it. I mean, belief. And then I think this is a problem with cultures. We get caught up on words. We, since words are, are essentially food for our brains, we really get particular about the words that we use, right there. I don't want to put processed words or you know certain words it's like oh that tastes bad to my brain belief gross you know um but in reality words are just tools they're just it's just energy right that's trying to explain an experience and this is a problem that we have in culture where we get so caught up on words like belief oh belief is is toxic and dangerous well no belief is a word that describes the fact that you have accepted a part of reality and that, that it's true in your mind. It's not belief. And, and here I think he's, he's getting really caught up on the word belief, especially from a, probably a Judeo Christian perspective. Like I believe in God and he's like, he's probably like, Oh, I hate my parents cause they're Christians. Um, and so I'm not going to believe in anything because if it's there, it doesn't require me to believe. But in reality, it's <laughs> your, what you're really saying is, Re- that's a, that's the reality. That's the truth. And I have no choice but to accept its truth. And so I believe in it. That's really what believe means. I'm accepting the truth of this reality. And he's, he's getting caught up on semantics there. It sounds really good. And when I initially heard it, I was like, wow, that's really cool. But then once I started thinking about it, I'm like, but I think he's, he's missing what belief is. Belief is not, it's not a verb. You're not choosing to believe. It's a state. You're in belief. It's it's different, I guess. Um, and if it's not there, why should you believe in it? That's a good point. If something's not there, why try to make it? Re- why try to make it a reality? But at the same time, that we were talking about. I was going through our podcast, and last week we were talking about how, um, or this week, I guess we were talking about how uh, the the human soul might be able to to transcend time. And what we, what we know, what we feel now might just be us knowing the future, right? In a subconscious way. So we're, we all have access and how fate, fate, the idea that fate exists is really silly because if our soul's outside of time, if we're eternal beings made finite and not finite beings becoming eternal, 
And there's a big distinction between those. A lot of people think that we're finite creatures, mortals that are becoming immortals. And I think it's the exact opposite. I think we're all immortal and we come down to be mortal to refine ourselves. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the whole reason God made us. I, I think our souls, our energy, our essence existed before time. Uh, and we, we were put into this contained form. Just like uh, Jordan Peterson, our Lord and Savior said, um, in order to, in order to, it took us how long? Yeah. In order to excel, you have to, you have to, ref, you have to squeeze down that energy, right? Ch children are potential, are infinite potential. But the problem with in infinite potential is it can go anywhere. And the fact that it can go anywhere means it goes nowhere. It's just going anywhere. Yeah. And anywhere implies nowhere. So what you have to do is a human has to get a college degree. They have to refine. They have to, to squish down um, that unlimited energy into one avenue in order to make it something, make that infinite energy into something, and then it comes out the other end and expands. And so you can kind of see that as a micro scale of the, the purpose of a soul. And I'm getting off topic about the belief, but um, yeah, going back, belief is just, it's something that happens when reality slaps you in the face. It's not, it's not something you choose to do. I'm not choosing to believe that I'm here. I have no choice but to believe that I'm here. There's no, there's no option. I know I'm here. It's not, I'm not, oh, I believe, I believe I'm here. No, you, you know you're here and belief is a byproduct. So that's kind of how I, I see that quote. Right. I feel like where I connect with the quote, there's there's kind of it's almost a paradoxical thing, because part of me sees what you're saying and sees that reality fundamentally is connected to belief. Because, I mean, like if you look at a satellite and you see its movement, you a certain part of you has to believe that that is a satellite and not a star. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you're, you're kind of believing it because technically you're not on the satellite looking at Earth and you don't have the, the total understanding that that's what it is. But you've been told by other people that that is a satellite and you know people who – you know that there are systems in our society that produce and create satellites and send them up to space, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to – but you, there's still a point of belief there. So almost everything requires belief to a certain extent. But where I connect with that quote is I feel like when I'm, <clears throat> when I'm interacting with the information in 12 Rules for Life, and maybe this is just because I'm ideologically connected to Jordan Peterson. I don't know. I think you're – But you're, I, I feel like – Okay, that's creepy. Like uh, his dick is in your ass kind of connected. <laughs> Relax. Um but I feel like when I listen to like 12 rules for life or like when I read elements of CS Lewis and stuff like that, I feel like I don't need to filter it in a, in a way because, because my filter is always operating, right? That's what it means to be thinking. You're just filtering information, but I feel like I don't really need to when I'm listening to them. Whereas when I listen to like a pastor, I'm like, okay, I'm hearing what he's saying and he's trying to get me to get from point A to point B. Whereas Jordan Peterson's just like, this is something that you should know. Yeah. You know, this is, this is, this is something you should know. And this is something you should incorporate into your life. And there's like nothing that's being asked for. There's nothing that's, there's, there's not, he doesn't want anything in return. It really, it's just, it's just like information that's being set out and it's true. 
in nature. Whereas, whereas like a pastor on a pulpit slamming the pulpit and like saying, you know, there is no, you know, there is no condemnation for those who have accepted Jesus, you know, like whatever, there's an element of me that has to say, okay, I'm going to take this step and I'm going to choose to throw myself out at this. And it's for me, I've rejected that step. So there's an emotional connection to the quote because of that. But like, but at the same time, like, like that's why I say it's paradoxical It's because there's an element of it where I see your point and in, in the fact that the, the quote doesn't really describe reality very well. Right. But it does describe that feeling for anybody who has lived a certain portion of their life in the church and has decided, okay, well maybe this isn't really what's going on. I mean, I think so. That's an interesting point, And I agree with you. And I think, um, Believe what you're what you're describing is so when you hear something and it's not Hang on, intrinsically can you hear your thought? Sorry about right. that. So when things aren't intrinsically true, right? So they don't resonate with the part of your being that's beyond definition, right? Or or even let's say they don't resonate with your soul, which is the aspect of your humanity that's connected to eternity, which would right. be total truth or God. Um, when things don't resonate with truth there's a refinement so when you listen to a pastor a lot of pastors are selling things and that's just just the reality and i've made fun of them already so i'm not going to again but um (laughs) there it's a business and as much as you want to admit that it's doing god's work or yada 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 it's a business at the end of the day they're trying to make money and the second money is involved I, i believe true moral perfection is at least perverted a little bit you can't achieve true moral perfection when you're worried about paying the bills. You're worried about paying a staff. Like there's, there's now an ulterior motive and the, and whatever truth was going to come out now has to, has to be tweaked a little bit to meet the social and economic standards that you now have. So it's not just right. a timeless truth that you're willing to shoot out. Um, it's now a, it's a business where you're trying to draw people in uh, not just to give them truth, but to also make a little bit of money to keep, at least keep the light on. And there's, you know, I've been around the church for a while and the number one argument is, well, even Jesus had had to make money. And uh, I think one of the disciples like kept their funds. Right. And so that's the thing is, well, even Jesus had to track money. And I'm like, yeah, but if Jesus lost all that money, you think he would have gave a shit? Probably not. Um, so yeah. like he was dying in three years. You really think he gave a shit? So, so. <laughs> No, nah, he was all about the cash. Yeah, he right? was. He's he was trying. It. He was trying to milk it for that three Setting years. Up revenue streams. And all he yeah. had was sandals and a robe. That was like his thing. That's all he had was yeah. sandals and a robe. I'm the idea that he was keeping funds and he had to. Uh, he had to pay for food. Dude, the dude can make unlimited fish. <laughs> Didn't need the money. <laughs> <laughs> fucking oh, morons limited, limited fish <laughs> so I think what you're saying is that there's a refinement when you hear because when somebody a human being is pretty much a refinement machine that's that's what we are we not only are refining ideas but we're refining reality so we're this I believe at the base of every human we're all the same thing whatever that thing is, we're all the same thing. If you take away everything, all the masks, all the layers that we add on since we're born, um, since the first second we see light, 
there's, you see your parents, right? And every parent is different. And immediately at that second, when your parents are not the same as every other, the masks begin to pile on, right? Who you define yourself as, you're refining reality. But if, if when, when something hits you right in that, that spot that there is no mask, and that takes a, that takes a genius to, or a prophet essentially, to hit that spot, that somebody is so connected to truth that when they say something, it goes straight through all the masks and layers that you've been putting on yourself since you were born and hits you in a spot that most people don't even know exists. Most people don't even have contact with. There, so there's no refinement needed. But like a pastor, like I said, how they, they're kind of perverting truth in a way, as much as some people hate that idea. You, especially somebody like you, who I think is searching for truth and has that radar open because they know what resonates with that deeper part of themselves. When somebody says something, you're now trying to, because you know the logic of the soul. You know, you know the logic. I guess that's it. You know the logic of the soul. And so when you hear something that doesn't follow exactly with the logic, and since that's what you're looking for, now you have to refine that information to make it match how you know truth is expressed. So when a pastor says, you know, uh, tithe because and this would happen to me a lot. Tithe because uh, God wants you to. It's, well, what's God actually saying? God wants us to not be attached to anything. And he makes us tithe to, um, he makes us tithe to prove to ourselves that we're willing to give up money because we know it's not the most important thing. They don't say that. They're not saying tithe because we need to disattach ourselves from materialistic um, uh, expressions. But they're saying tithe because if you do, Jesus will bless you. But you have to refine that information now to, to match what you know is actually being said. And you can do that with any information, right? Like even the Black Lives Matter or the, um, the, the other SJW uh, communities, they, there is an aspect of truth that's coming through them. They are, in an essence speaking from reality, their reality, right? And it might be skewed. It might be it might be the farthest, it might be a fucking thick ass mask that's speaking, that's really separating themselves from their intrinsic expression or their intrinsic essence, right? They might be speaking through layers and layers and layers of mass, masks. But as somebody who uses the logic of the soul, you can t- still take that and refine it and get what they were trying to, or what their soul's trying to say. Because at the end of the day, the soul is the thing that's speaking. And if we've lost connection to the soul, whatever we say is going to be perverted and it's going to be wrong. But that doesn't mean that, you know, it's like, um, I don't know, there's an image, but think of like, think of like a Chinese telephone, right? And you know, you know that game where one person says a statement, they whisper it into somebody's ear and it goes down the line and then the last person says it. Mm-hmm. So the soul is, it starts the saying, right? And then the soul passes it to the first mask. Which, and then passes that, that saying to the next mask. And the masks keep going until eventually it gets to the mask that you're wearing right now. And it comes out totally different. So, mm-hmm. so the, soul, the soul is still speaking. The soul starts the state statement, but it goes through so many layers of uh, refinement and changing that when it gets to the mouth of the person, it's no longer similar to what the soul was saying. But somebody... You still can you if you know how to, you can refine that saying and go take it all the way back. You can reverse the process because you've done it in yourself first. And that but that requires searching and stuff. So 
I don't know. It is interesting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I mean, the the idea. It's just it's keep going. It's it's hard for me to because what what I hear about a lot of the the mask talk. Have, do you know about uh, John Jacques Rousseau? Yes. And uh, yeah, I I I hear kind of this. <clears throat> like this um almost like a connection to the the natural man that uh Rousseau talks about a little bit um in that in in the idea that our base nature is intrinsically a good thing and if we can just get back to nature if we can just get back to um leaving all of the societal constraints leaving all of that and we can just we can just be people in our most natural, most fundamental state that good things will come in a way. And I, I struggle with that. But at the same time, it's like it's like a it's like a little bit different than what he was talking about, because he, he almost had this idea that if you leave it, if you leave a child to their own. Their own um, mechanics, their own. uh like if you leave them alone that, that that will develop into the most beautiful thing if you don't if you don't encumber them with responsibility if you don't if you don't like um if you don't inflict their mind with the cancer of society therefore you're you're going to get somewhere really good um and i can't tell if that's what you're saying if you're saying like it, it do you feel like that's kind of what you're saying or are you, no, are you talking no, no, more no. about I think I think the refinement is necessary. I think the maths <laughs> are required. And just like we were talking last week, how order and chaos are married. And what what allows enlightenment is actually the marriage of both of them. And then what comes what the baby they make is enlightenment, right? So order and chaos if you allow them to be married into your life, they produce the divine child, which is enlightenment. And so the masks are required because in order to, to reach enlightenment, you have to lose the masks, which is death, essentially, is what it is. You can, you can see, you can either accept death in life, which makes death infinitely more valuable to you, or death, death will just come regardless because death is the answer to life. And so whether you die because life forces you to die or whether you die because you willingly sacrifice yourself makes a difference. But at the end of the day, that that death is what allows rebirth. And so if you if you you have to accumulate the masks or the layers of the identity, layers of identity is another way. To, you're just adding layers and, and the natural man. I don't know if natural man is the great a great way to describe it. Um, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm just using yeah, that yeah. And that's, I'm, that's what Rousseau talked about. I'm commenting off him. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if I really think that's a good way to describe it. I think it's an adequate way to describe it. Uh, but I think we can, I think we can describe it better. And this is why I think Jung was uh, more profound because I think he mapped the layers of being perfectly. Um, let me look up an exact chart because I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> Uh, 
So he had, what is it? All right. So you have the outer world and the inner world, right? And the outer world creates a persona. And then the persona creates the ego. And then the self is in the middle. Here, oh man, I wish I could just send this to you. So look at this. But this is this to me is a perfect map of um, the human psyche. Can you not send it? I'm I'm sending it right now. So I think the natural man implies that because I don't think nature I don't think I think nature it's like code and code has bugs. Nature is binary and humans are not binary. We're we're kind of very un non-binary. Nature nature plays by strict laws and it doesn't deviate and it doesn't care. You know, um, you can see right. that with the way do, do animals suffer it's like yeah animals obviously suffer but they probably don't realize they're suffering and then once the suffering's over do they ever do they remember the suffering we can't we can't know but i i would probably say no you know uh, me and jordan were talking about how like a squirrel must be scared or a cat must be scared when they're out in the <laughs> seriously this is a philosophical <laughs> yeah, no like when, when a squirrel runs into the road and then it like stands in the middle like terrified and it doesn't know what to do and then runs away and you barely miss it it's like the squirrel was only existing in the present moment and it ran out to the street because it wasn't thinking about the future it didn't think about a car coming once the car came its fight or flight response kicked on humans have that too and immediately it sensed danger it was terrified it if a terror that you would literally have if you were about to get hit by a car right but right when it ran away the fight or flight sure probably lingers for a couple minutes, but once it's gone, that squirrel no longer remembers what happened. It's not holding on to the fear. That's that you could even say that's the natural man, but I don't, man, the natural man was before I think God breathed the spirit into us because once we, once we separated from nature, there was a, there's an aspect of us that took over to where I don't really think the natural man exists anymore at least if we're if we're purely focused on semantics um and so i think this this layer this chart that jung proposed is the best description of um the best description of the the what's it called the anatomy of the human being the human essence so and it's kind of complicated because, but there's, so there's the outer world and the inner world. So up and down, right? The outer world, the self is in the middle of both of them, which is your true self, your, your, the, the soul to some degree. The outer world, when the self first creates the ego, right? And then the ego creates a persona. So the ego is who you are inside with like, so it's the, the self exists. And then the ego is created based off the outer world, who you internally think you are. And then what happens is then a persona is created. And the persona is who you express yourself to the outer world. So the ego is something different than the persona because the persona is the mask you wear. The ego is what's underneath the mask. So the ego, let's say you hate white people. All right, let's say I just fucking hate them, but I can't act that way in society. So my ego would be, I hate white people, but my persona would be, I don't mind them. 
and in the outer world is the thing that is judging the persona and then through the persona the ego and through the ego the self the inner world is the subconscious and the inner world goes from to the anima or the animus which is your animal instinct so the inner world which is your inner landscape first is processed through the instinctual reactions that you have hunger sexual desire fight or flight um rage these things are they're in they're fucking primal you know they're gutter they, they right. they're they you don't have any control over them because you are a machine and at the end of the day the code will dictate what you do and through those subconscious instincts then the sh uh, the shadow is created and the shadow is kind of jordan peterson's version of the monster you have to be a monster you have to incorporate the shadow and the shadow is the thing that given the circumstances the you would be the worst person like what is the worst person you're capable of being a total reflection of your your true human nature that's the shadow and the self is between the ego and the shadow so the shadow is who you could be if given the opportunity and the ego is who you think you are and then the self is in between those. And then if you see um, the, it says consciousness, personal, unconscious, personal, unconscious, yeah. collective, um, collective, unconscious. So the shadow also accumulates the collective unconscious, which would be humans, also humans, uh, all of humanity's worst uh, traits are also in you. And that's another really difficult thing to show that, that you are also the worst part of humanity. So I think that's, and it's kind of complicated. It's not just like, oh, um, like the natural man idea is that, oh, if, if you just left a person alone, if you just left a child alone, they would turn into the Superman. I think that was also his, or that might've been young as well, the, but the superhuman, they would just be perfect because there would be no filter in which that child was needing to go through to express themselves. But at the same time, I don't think that's true because based off this diagram, there's always going to be an outer world and there's always going to be an inner world. There's always going to be a collective unconscious. There's always going to be a personal unconscious and there's also going to be a consciousness. Those three things are always going to be present. And through that, there's always going to be a self. There's always going to be a version of who you think you are. There's going to be a version in which you have to use to express yourself to the world. There's going to be the shadow and there's also going to be instinctual impulses. So there's no way, right. there's no way you can, because, you know, and there's a lot of cases where children um, have had to raise themselves and they just turn into animals. And that sounds really bad. But like, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about like total societal um, seclusion. Like you're not, they're in the wild. They're raised by animals. It's happened before, believe it or not. They turn into animals because the, the human is an animal. And if there is no... If there is no outer world that expresses humanity or like social structures, then what happens is the persona becomes that of an animal, which is just fight or flight, you know, survival, the persona and the ego. And then the self becomes that. And eventually the, the, that persona is so far uh, engrossed into the ego. And that ego is so engrossed into the self that the self has become an animal. And they, there's literally nothing you can do. There's tons of stories on this. Um, and you should like, everybody should read them really. They're, they're really intense, but the child never changes. They try, I mean, people try to teach them and shit, but they, they just can never change once they get past a certain age in that environment. There's your, your self has just been, you know, twisted.
Right. I don't know. Part of me wonders whether or not all this shit even exists. <laughs> yeah, it, like, seriously. I know. It's, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's just like... Um, so, you want to hear something interesting? Shit. Have you ever had a dream where you died? Yes. Have you woken up after you died? Mm-hmm. Do you wake up? How many dreams of those have you had? I don't know. A, a, a lot. A lot? So you, and, and how'd you die? Do you remember one where you died? How'd you die? And what happened? I remember one where I was on Pearl Street in Boulder and I walked. I was walking with my girlfriend and she like walked out on the street and I like saw this car coming and I like pulled her back and then and then for some reason and like I for some reason it was a sacrificial act so I had to like pull her back but then in the process of doing that I got hit by the car and then I woke up so dreams that you die in usually symbolize interchange transformation self-discovery um or positive development in your life. It's your subconscious telling you that your a version of you has died, literally. Um, most people wake up when they die, right? In dreams, because there's your your brain doesn't actually know that you're dying, or you're not dying. It's a dream because when you're in a dream, unless you're lucid dreaming, which is kind of a skill, you don't really recognize that it's not happening. And most people wake up because their body literally enters that state of fight or flight. Like, Oh my God, I'm dying. Jolt jolt up. So I've had dreams of dying pretty much my whole life. And, um, every single time it's visit vivid. And up until I started kind of searching for things, um, searching for truth, I would wake up, right. Dying was scary to me. Like it should be. But after that, I started having dreams where I died and I wouldn't wake up from the dream. And um, there's a reason for that, which I'll get to later. But I every single time I remember it, I just had one the other night, which is why I bring it up. But I remember always thinking every time I die now in a dream, it's like, oh, this is what it feels like. I'm I'm embracing death because I'm curious about what it feels like. So there was one time. I was fighting in this Viking war, right? I was a, I was a Viking. I was this big-ass Viking. And I was fighting in a war, and I was just slaughtering all these people. Like, very, very gory, vivid, just mutilating all these people. And so I killed, like, three guys. And I turn around. And right as I turn around, I see this Viking in the distance. And he threw an axe at me, and it hit me right in the stomach, Right? And he just starts screaming like a Viking yell, like, and then turns and runs. And I just look down and there's this ax in my stomach and I'm bleeding. Right. And I fall to my knees and I think I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. And I just, I just look at the ax and I'm like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And, and I, my, I fall to the ground and my eyes start slowly fading. I go, Oh, Oh, this, this is it. This is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to be. And then after that, it just goes somewhere else. And there's a reason for that. There's, there was a guy who, I think one of the pioneers of lucid dreaming, he, which is con- learning to control your dreams, which is a very real thing. He, the first thing he studied in his dreams was death, right? What happens when you die in a dream and you're controlling it? So he would jump off a building 
right? And he was in control and he would fall. But right as he hit the ground, right before he hit the ground, what he said would happen was the dream would then shift into a totally different scenario and he would be doing something else. And he almost, if he wasn't lucid, he would have forgotten what he was doing before. And he said he almost, it was almost like there was a total sh shift and the brain just couldn't accept, like it didn't process dying. The brain knew you were going to die, but instead of actually experiencing death, what happens is the dream just changes like scenarios and puts you in a new perspective. And if you weren't lucid, you wouldn't even remember that you, you had died earlier or that you dreamed that you died. And me and Jordan were talking about it. And one of the things was that we've never actually died. And if dreams are just a subconscious processing of information and, and, or even a collective process of, you know, refining information, dreams might span reality no living human has actually experienced death so we our brain doesn't know how to process that information so even if you know you could die in a dream like you fall you know you know you can fall from a building it's you're very capable of, of imagining that you don't know how to imagine death it's not possible so what happens right. is the brain just says okay next scenario or you wake up which is what usually happens i think that's what happens to most people um but if you're lucid and I think also what happens is for me, I'm, I'm, I want to die, but not sadistically. I don't want to die. I want to know what happens after death, whether it be nothing or whether it be, um, you know, eternity. The, the scary part is because I've been indoctrinated is hell, right? Oh, my God, I've been a bad person. I go to hell. But honestly, I, I just don't. Once you read C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, we can talk about it. But I think that's probably a more accurate description of what hell actually is. And like uh, the the conflict and then the 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 eternal lines shifting ever so slightly so that the rays extend and people are so separated kind of it goes deeper and I really don't want to spoil. I really want to talk about it. Um, yeah, but there's like a point at which he meets he meets a guy and they go through a monologue and he kind of explains the whole story it's at the very end of the book but he kind of you got to you got to get your terms right buddy if he meets a guy and they're having a conversation yeah. what is that they're talking it's the dialogue no the guy monologue. i mean yeah i guess it is a dialogue uh, it's really kind of a monologue he just talks for a long ass time he's not really like he's not right it's a, it's kind of a monologue because it's really i, I don't know it could, i guess it could be a dialogue whatever their semantics fuck you um but he explains <laughs> he explains it and c.s lewis even goes on to say listen this is just me making a story um but i think he knew it was a little bit more than that i think he knew that he he was on to something but anyways um yeah I, i'm curious about it and so I, what's happened is my brain i don't wake up I just, I just wait for the answer to come in my dreams. I just wait for it. I just wait. Like there was one the other day, right? For some reason we were in a plane and we, there were like three of us hanging on the wing of a plane while it was flying. So our feet are like flailing, right? And I slip. I don't know why we were out there, but I slip and I fall and I fall into these clouds and I'm like, okay, I'm falling. I'm, I'm, I have a parachute. I'm going to be Okay. Uh, once I get past these clouds, I'll just open my parachute. Right. And so I'm getting ready. And right when I get past the clouds, I hear, Oh no, he's too close to the ground from somewhere. I don't know where, but I'm like, what? No, I'm not. And right as the clouds clear, I'm like right next to the ground, 
right next to the guy. Like there was no time for me to react, and I just splat. Um, but then I, I I go somewhere else. And looking back at the dream, I'm like, oh. So it just it's just like a totally different dream begins at that. Not point. a totally. It sometimes a totally different dream begins because I can remember dying. But then I don't remember what happens exactly after dying, but I remember the next part of the dream. And what my conclusion is, is that I remember approaching death and then I remember other aspects of the dream that have no like ties. So like in that one, it was kind of I was dreaming. I was in this like academy. Right. But after I died, I ended up behind in this like weird castle place. And it was in the same it was in the same landscape. I knew I was in the same area, but I was like behind the scenes and there was, was this big, like I was in like this dungeon almost and there was a door, right? And behind the door, which was locked, it was like bars was this treasure chest. And, right. and I was, and I, I remember hearing people talking almost like they were behind this, these walls and they were talking. And all I remember doing is like walking around and it was almost like a, it was almost like a, a drama set, you know? like props. It was almost like a prop room. And I, I remember I was like looking around and I realized like these things, the walls were like cardboard, right? But I couldn't move them. So, and then, uh, and then I woke up, but there was that one. There was the Viking one there. Did I tell you about the one where Josh, my brother killed me? Yeah. And that one really, that one got that you. one. Well, that that's the only dream I've ever had where I woke up and hallucinated. Or I woke up really? and saw something. Oh, where do you not remember? So I had that dream. Me and my brother decided to rob a mall. We started killing everybody in the mall, right? And this is the only dream I've ever had where I was murdering outright. Like I've had dreams where I defended, I was fighting in wars and shit, but it never hit me as um just like bloody murder. Yeah, just literal, just literal. And I was murdering also just to steal things. So it wasn't like I was murdering. I've had dreams where yeah, I kill funny. people. To say my family, I've had to kill people in a war, but it was it wasn't like I've never had a dream where I was actually evil. And so I started killing me and my brother just started killing everybody in the mall. And I remember as we were playing too much video games with your brother. No, dude, I've had I've had I've been playing video games my whole life. So I would have had a dream like this already. And this was in this was at the crusp anxiety, right? This was right after I started getting anxiety. And uh, like, really, this was in probably the climax of my panic attacks. So there was probably a little bit of that going on. Um, but I also really think that that was demonically influenced, which some people might call me crazy for. But um, so we, as we're leaving, I, I'm like, oh no, there's gonna, I just it just fun suddenly hit me. Oh no, cops are gonna be out there, and we're gonna go to jail. In this immense wave of despair hit me, dude despair and depression like i've never felt before and in that moment i said josh just kill me i don't want to do that i don't want to go through this and without hesitation he turns around points the like and and most people are like oh that's not i'm it just was so started i remember feeling it in the dream he didn't he didn't ask he didn't question he didn't say anything without saying anything he turns around, points the gun at my head, and right before I see it, and right before I could react, and I was going to say, no, wait, before I could even say, no, wait, like, because I realized what I had said, he pulled the trigger. And I woke up from that. That was the first dream of death that I had woken up from 
in a long time. When he pulled the trigger, I shot up and I'm like, oh, because it was so real. It was it was demonic, right? I, it was weird. And I woke up and I was like, I was looking at Jordan because we were laying on the floor and I was like, oh, it was just a dream. It felt real. I thought I had literally died. It felt so real. And I'm like, oh, it was just a dream. And I look at Jordan and I'm like, okay. And I calm down and I'm like, it was just a dream. It was just a dream. So I, you know, lay back down on the pillow, close my eyes and I shift a little bit. And when I turn my head to the other side, I open up my eyes just a little bit, right? Just for some reason. And I see a pair of legs on the ground next to us. And we're at this vacation house. And so there was a lot of people laying everywhere. And I immediately just thought, oh, it's Jordan's brother. He just came here to sleep on the ground. And so I look at the legs and I go up and I see a body. And when I look at the head, it's this puppet's face that's melting and smiling at me like this. It had like long strangly hair and it was, I can't describe it, but it was like almost a blank face with like a melted eye and melted mouth, but it was like smiling. And I got out of bed so quickly and I punched it. What was the last thing you remember? Dreams. That's it. Dreams. We were talking about dreams involving death. You were talking about how you go somewhere beyond, and then you were talking about Josh's dream, and you were punching the, the uh, yeah thing with the yeah the ghost the legs thing. the ghosty yeah. boy. It's never happened to me, so that's that's essentially that. There is um, theories that so I've lucid dreamed before, but um, which is is similar to that, like. There I was much one never lucid dreamed. I don't think. No, no I'm not lucid. Dreams. I mean, uh, sleep paralysis. I've had a lot like. Really? M- like, dude, probably over 100 cases of sleep paralysis where the most recent one was back when I was living at Jordan's parents and everybody had left her, her parents house. So it was just me staying there. And um, it was at the, it was right after my the beginning of my panic attacks. Right. It was like maybe two, three months. This was also after. um the ghosty dream or the the demonic dream and um what happened was i was playing video games and then i just got a massive panic attack so i went downstairs to kind of like i stopped playing video games and i just slept on the couch right with the tv on and some lights because i just couldn't i couldn't sleep and um i ended up falling asleep but i woke up at like three or i woke up at like 3 a.m on the dot like right at 3 a.m. And both of my arms were totally numb. I couldn't feel both of my arms. And so I just started having massive panic attacks. And I woke up in a state of panic. And so I'm, but I'm not giving into this. And it was like the first time I just was like, no, I'm not, I'm not dying. I know I'm not fucking dying. And I'm not going to listen to my body. Tell me I'm dying and I'm not numb. I'm, I'm fine. And so I laid on the ground and I'm like, listen, if this is going to happen, I'm just going to meditate. And so I laid on the ground. I got off the couch. I laid on the ground and I just started breathing. I just started focusing on my breathing. And I probably did that for an hour before I fell asleep. But when I fell asleep, I didn't really fall asleep. What had happened was because Jordan's cat was there and I had Jordan's cat never came upstairs its entire life. It never went up to their house or their upstairs. But what I started doing was I started going up there and meditating. I started meditating upstairs. And after like, three or four months of me doing that, the cat started to come upstairs slowly. It started to come upstairs and like poke around, right? And look around. And then eventually it only hung up upstairs after I started meditating. Totally could be coincidence. 
also could be that cats are um, their empaths, which means they sense energy. And as I meditated, I cleared, I cleared energy in that area and the cat saw it as a cleaner space in the house. Right. Cause that's what you essentially when you're meditating, cause your aura tra- is, is an external, it's, it's the energy that your, your consciousness emits. Right. And the more orderly that consciousness is, that aura is the more the space around it becomes orderly. Right. So if you take an orderly wave and you combine it with an unorderly wave, what ends up happening is while that orderly wave does decrease a little bit in order, the disorder will also become more orderly, right? So they kind of, they meld into one frequency. And so if you want to get really woo-woo, it might've been that I, as I was meditating, I was, or, I was making the space around me more orderly. And the cat sensed that and started to, because cats are empaths, they, and they probably like that. The cat probably, Theo, probably noticed it and came up there because it was just more comfortable. You, did um, you name him after Breaking Bad? The guy? I didn't name him. Jordan named him. They had him many years before I showed up. Oh, okay. No, um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, oh, cool. and she was shocked. She's like, why is he coming upstairs? He never comes upstairs. And that was my first initial impression. I'm like, oh, it's because cats are empaths and I've been meditating and it's probably cleaner up here than it is in the rest of the house. But before I came, and I know this is so narcissistic. Some people will be like, man, you fucking, you think you are this shit. Um, but it was probably, I'm like, but probably you guys, you guys fucking in your teen angst made upstairs, just this dirty aura place. Um, because her brother's trans. And as much as you want to say, they go through some fucking emotional turmoil, right? Trans people. They're very, he suffered with depression, anxiety, Jordan, you know, suffered with depression and anxiety. So their, their upstairs living space was probably really shitty energetically. Just a lot of hovering, you know, ugh. Uh, and so the cat was probably like, no, thanks. Not going up there. Don't have time for all that. <laughs> it's, I'm serious. And, and As uh, you're having like an anxious breakdown. But I've never had an anxious so. breakdown before. And the first time in my life I've ever had a panic attack was when I stayed in Jordan's house. Ooh. And I've been in way worse situations than that, dude. I've been in way less desirable situations than living in Jordan's parents' house. But if the only time I've ever had a panic attack or anxiety was after six months of staying in, that, in, uh, in their upstairs. So you can say what you want. <laughs> I'm going with the uh, anecdotal evidence in my, in my experience. Antidotical? Anecdotal. All right. Anecdotal. 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 Yeah, anecdotal. Those those two things mean different. Anecdotal. Anyways, you know what I meant. You fucking fucking moron, penguin. Learn how to be linguistically adept, Andrew. Don't fucking. Hey, don't care. Don't need to. Nar is not a T, Andrew. Nar is not a T. Different letter. Anyways, um, so there's that, and then so I go downstairs, right? And this is I'm like, you know what? I'm not giving into this anxiety attack, and so I lay on the. about an hour I fall asleep and I wake up and I, and I started, I started having sleep paralysis and I couldn't move. Right. So I'm totally paralyzed and I'm being carried around and I start having the images start transitioning between each other, between me laying on the ground 
and me being in like a hospital stretcher, but I wasn't in a hospital, but I was laying on like a moving stretcher. Right. And I was being moved around this hallway and I would, I would transition between that imagery and the imagery of me, me being moved around the living room on the floor. Right. So I felt like I was moving and I literally saw myself moving on the floor of their house, not being able to move at all and transitioning between moving around in this dream on this stretcher in this like hallway. Right. And I sensed these beings over me. And I remember I saw Theo, the cat was like circling around me. Right. When I would transition back into the house, it was like watching me and it was like circling around me, just like watching me. And it just kept walking around me. And I didn't, I remember being like, what, what's going on? I couldn't move though. And I remember thinking I'm dying. I'm dying. I can't move. And it was that experience where I was like, what's going on? What's going on? But when I woke up, I felt a million times better. It was the first time in months that I had woken up without anxiety. And I had two, two theories. One was Theo was evil and he was uh, trying to kill me. He was possessed by a demon, right? That was that was one. He he last night when I was sleep paralysis, he had some energy had possessed him and it, he was walking around me creating this this sleep paralysis, which many people believe is. is right. Um, but I also had the other perspective that what was actually happening was Theo was the opposite and he actually cared for me. And because I think cats are empaths. And as he was walking around me, he was protecting me from whatever was trying to grab me. Right. Something was trying to grab me that night. Something, some, some energy, some dark energy was trying to get a hold of my mind because I was in a vulnerable state and it was trying to, it was trying to, to hurt me. It was trying to hurt my mind, break me even further. But Theo was guarding me walking around. And so what ended up happening was I ended up being healed from that experience um, at least right. a little bit. So that was a, that was the most recent sleep paralysis dream I've had. Jesus. But sleep sleep paralysis is it's a good time. It's a it's good weird. time. It, it it is weird because there's it combines consciousness and unconsciousness, and but you're totally incapable of moving. There was one time, um, with the, and this was this was a while ago, right? And so my my mattress was on the floor. And I went up and took a nap in the middle of the day. And I remember I was in this school and it was like storming outside. Right. And there was this dark school and there was this lady in a classroom and right. there was a desk in the classroom and there was three envelopes. And I walk in and it, the whole setting was just dark. And I walk in and she says, open one. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, I don't know. And uh, she's like, open one. So I, I opened one and immediately I was laying back on my bed. Right. The only difference was I couldn't move at all. I was fully conscious, but I couldn't move. And I laid like that for who knows how long. And I just struggled to move. I'm like, I need to go get help. I need to get my brother. I can't move. I can't move like fear. I was paralyzed. I I couldn't move. And I would just kind of like nudge just a little bit and I would rotate over. And eventually after it felt like three hours of just intense struggling, just trying to get my body to move a little bit, I got to the door. And right when I reached up, like struggling, dude, grabbed the door and turned the door, I was back in the classroom with the three letters in front of me. And I'm telling you that happened probably a hundred times before I actually woke up. Same scenario. I would open a letter 
because there was nowhere to go. She's like, said, open a letter. I'd open a letter and I would be back on my bed paralyzed. And I would struggle to get to the door. I would open the door, be back in the classroom. Ew. Yeah. Ew, that's freaky. It's like yeah. you're trapped in your own mind. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's very weird. Yeah. You've I've, never had an experience I, like that? The closest thing I had, which this is kind of like totally different, was when I started to really – I feel like when I was starting to fall in love with my girlfriend, I, um, I would, I would like go home after hanging out with her and like our friend group and stuff. And I would like be starting to fall asleep. And then I would think that she was there with me in my bed. And we would start having these like conversations for like four hours. We would just be talking about like different shit. Just, just, talking for like for like four four or five hours and I couldn't really tell if I was awake or I was asleep like I would have these thoughts like man I really need to go to bed like I really need to sleep but I would just keep talking to her and it was like she was sitting on the foot of my bed like the whole time we, we were we would talk and I, I, I couldn't really tell if I was like sleeping or if I was awake but I was definitely like it really felt like she was there yeah that was weird I what I wonder is like how do you, how imperative do you feel like dreams are to human progression? I think they're everything. I think dreams might be even more valuable than reality because dreams are a pure expression of your mind, right? There, there's It's telling you something. And I also think when you dream, you're as close to death as a human can get consciously because we also, we know DMT is released when you dream. And we also know that uh, it comes from the pineal gland and also what causes sleep is the secretion of melatonin, which also comes from the pineal gland. So when you go to sleep, you're experiencing a micro trip of DMT, tiny, tiny, tiny amount, but it's enough to trigger these weird ass experiences. Right. Right. And, and that's science, that's scientifically proven. This happens, um, happens in animals too. So I think what's happening is when you dream, you're entering a realm you're entering, entering the realm of the spirit or eternity or, you know, whatever it is, but it's, you're experiencing it through the lens of your humanity. So if you could see it as it actually is, I think you would see spirit. I think you would see the spiritual landscape, but since our human minds are limited, it manifests itself in images that we recognize. So it Which think, is material. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So when you see your girlfriend, it's not actually your girlfriend. It's, it's, it's a principle that's expressing itself through an image. So there's, there, it's not actually a material expression. Some people disregard dreams. Because you know what's weird is people think we don't know why we need sleep. Zero. We have zero understanding of why a human needs sleep, right? Rest. That's the obvious answer. But that's anecdotal. Right. That's because you feel better when you sleep. Okay. I'm going to kill you. Uh, keep going. What? Why? Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Anecdotal. 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 Anyways. Fucking me up now, dude. Anyways. Um, so we know that we feel better after we sleep. And we also know that you only can go so long without not sleeping because your consciousness will literally begin to dissolve if you don't sleep. That's really why we need sleep because your brain will break. But the reality is, is when you sleep, your brain 
is not resting. It's actually working harder than when you're conscious. That's a really bizarre fact. The brain works three times harder and three times as fast when you're asleep than when you're conscious. There's no rest happening. People think that people think that when you sleep, your body goes in shutdown mode. It's the opposite. It goes into hyperdrive mode. It, it's we the whole our whole life we have no idea why we need sleep, except for the fact that we feel better afterwards. And I really think that means that we're just more connected to reality. Our brain is in a more solid state after we sleep. It has nothing to do with that we're rested. It has to do with our, our consciousness resets. And our consciousness, all energy needs to be recharged, right? I mean, if you look at our brain like a computer, where does, where does the energy come from? There's food, but the food doesn't process consciousness. Consciousness, we don't know what consciousness is, right? But we know that food allows the body to continue as like a machine. But consciousness is something different. And consciousness can break just like the body can break. And I don't think consciousness, the energy for consciousness comes from food. I think it comes from sleep. And I think we recharge our batteries when our consciousness goes back to where it originally started. And we get, we can go there through dreams. So, so dreams are, are an access to the spiritual realm where there's an infinite amount of energy because outside of time and space, the laws of physics break down. And one of those things is that energy cannot be created or destroyed. So when you go outside of those boundaries, the energy you kind of your batteries kind of recharge for consciousness. If you don't enter that space, the battery keeps depleting, depleting until the consciousness eventually just breaks and somebody goes insane. There's no, there's, there's not enough, there's not enough energy to hold the consciousness together. Interesting. So yeah, I go continue. ahead. No, no, I, I mean, that was pretty much the statement. What I was gonna say is like I've noticed that um, smoking kind of impairs my dreaming somewhat, like smoking weed. It, it impairs remembering the dream. You dream every night. Just right. whether or not you remember it is when anytime you go into REM sleep, you're you're dreaming. You just can't remember the dreams. I think people I think it might impair the ability to go into REM sleep a little bit. Just because it yeah. seems like every single when I dream, if I like smoke weed right before bed and then I go to sleep, I tend to just it's just black. It's like well, you should get a, you should get an Apple Watch and you should track your sleep. It's very good for you. You should also track your heart rate and your HRV. But no, you're poor, so probably can't do that. <laughs> Would recommend though. Saving up for life. Saving up for life. No, you're not, life. bro. You're saving up for drugs. Yeah, I'm going to spend it all on fucking weed for? at the end of this month. Think, yeah, think about, how, think, think about how much money you've spent on drugs. Spent a lot of and money. then tell me that you're saving money for life. I'm trying to save Please. money. Right now, I'm like not eating out at all. Or anything. And then you have so, something like free like video games and you're like, oh, can't do that. That's a bad thing. It's like, yeah, it's a sixty dollar for five hundred dollars, <laughs> five hundred hours of entertainment. But smoking weed, you get two hours for ten dollars. Yay! And during that two hours, <laughs> you literally can't do anything because you're incapacitated. But it's fun. Oh my god! All right, not smoking has given me quite the perspective on it, especially coming from being. And so I empathize. I understand the perspective. But I'm telling you, when you get out of it, you look back and you're like. Oh, it. Oh, that's why. Like it just. It's just. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. And it honestly, I think. I think the anxiety was a wake up call. 
I, I, there was, there was something in life that was like, listen, motherfucker, we've tried to get you to stop smoking for years now. You've had so many opportunities. Fuck this shit. You're going numb when you smoke, you're losing control. And this is the only option. And if you don't stop smoking after this, you're just done. So I think that's essentially what happened. I think something was like, listen, dude, we've given you enough time. You didn't answer because I've my for the last five years, I've tried to stop smoking weed. But I always thought, ah, what's the big deal? You know, after three days of not smoking, I'd be like, yeah, just one blunt. It won't hurt. You know, that that classic stoner excuse. And um, you just you just don't give up because after a day of not smoking, you think, oh, what's the big deal? You just don't. It's 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 weird. It's weird. I just remember it like what? After a week of not smoking, well, what's you know what's the big deal with one blunt? You know, it destroys your mind. It destroys it. You, people, do, you do not understand. It is not a good thing. I think it can be, but not at our ages. Not not when you're trying to establish your mind and and build yourself and establish reality. Getting further away from reality when you're trying to do the exact opposite is not a good idea. When you're older, 40, 50, I think that's probably the best time to do it because that's when you need to relax. You've been stressed your most of your life at that point. Now it's time to relax and reflect. But when you're fucking 18, 19, the, the last thing you need to do is relax. You're brand new and this is the most energy you'll ever fucking have. You know, you don't want to waste it on what? Oh, I'm more creative. I have better discussions. Shut up. It's not true. It's not true at all. It's the opposite of truth. That's the weed talking. But I know some people will never give it up. And that's fine. I mean, if you want to smoke, smoke. I just think you're doing your consciousness, your spirit a disservice. And like I was, totally like I was. I And eventually something came to me and said, it came over me and it's like, listen, we've given you enough chances. We know you're not going to give it up. Uh, this is your, This is the only option. It's going to have to cause you pain. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like I feel like I I need I, I I mean there's a reason I'm not smoking at all right now. It's really really difficult for me to to avoid it. And part of me feels like my aversion in the like in the in the current moment is isn't even necessarily a good thing because with my immersion like like with my aversion so far all of my desires haven't dissipated one bit. I still want to smoke so much. I still, I, I want to smoke all the time. I want to smoke and I want to play video games. It's like it's all I want to do. Dude, it's all I want to do. And you want to escape. That's what it is. Yeah, I know. And that's, but that's every human. So don't think that you're this bad person for that. That's fine. That's, I don't think I'm like totally a bad normal. person necessarily yeah. for it. It's just like, it's like I, I almost it's it's almost like I feel like I need to like truly experience the escape so that I can know that that's not the right thing. But at the same time, I feel like I have almost like totally experienced the escape. Yeah, I think that's backward logic. I think you don't need the whole, oh, I need to do more drugs in order to realize I don't need drugs. Like, eh, yeah, I think that's the drugs talking. Um, right, yeah. It is nice to be high because you're not you're in a dream essentially, and there also is the fact that when you get you get high, your brain enters the same state as it is when it's dreaming. So you begin to see reality as a dream. That's what happens when you get high. Reality becomes a dream. Your brain doesn't know the difference between being high consciously and being in a dream. Your brain processes information the same way, and that's not good. 
because dreams, like we just talked, I think dreams are very valuable in this, in, in resetting consciousness. Um, and if you never, if you, if you start seeing reality as the place that resets consciousness, but it doesn't reset consciousness, that's that you never can change. And that's why stoners are seen as lazy because they actually resist change because they're, they're not cap Their consciousness is depleted, totally weak. You're just, you're, there's no, there, you haven't had, I don't know, but it, it, you know, I could be totally wrong about this. Like I said, I love smoking. And there's a lot of good things about smoking. I just don't think when you're young is, yeah, it seems like right so, something to postpone until later in my life. I think when I, when I exit July, my current plan is to try to do it like once a week and see if I can see if I can hold myself to that. I really like my desire. What do you see in weed? So what do you, what, what is what do you gain from being high? Oh, I mean like, dude, I, I am such an angry, I'm such an angry person. Not, not my friends. I, I, most of my, a lot, like my best friends don't even smoke weed, Yeah, but like, I'm, I'm such a like fundamentally angry person. Like I've been noticing that so much so far in July. Like I have about, about, it's because of my age mainly, but I have about like, 25 different times in the day where like last night I have a hole in my wall that I punched like a year ago and last night I just started punching this fucking hole so hard because I didn't want to do any more damage but I just punched the fuck out of this hole like seven times what caused that it's like it's like the littlest things will set it off dude like sometimes if I'm working in Starbucks and I get like and I'm working by myself and I get like seven customers in a row the eighth customer will just drive me insane. I'm just like, do you Hi, how are you doing? It drives me fucking crazy. I haven't for a while. I need Dude, to. Dude, this be, and let me, let me give you information that you won't follow and it's totally unwarranted. Because <laughs> I, I was like you. I'm not lying. Like literally I used to do that. I used to punch holes in my wall. Little things used to set me off. And then we totally changed my personality, right? I became really relaxed. I became chill. Uh, I did started not giving a fuck. And it's not just not, not good. giving a fuck. It's just like I just enjoy. Like I'm just like enjoying relaxed. life and relaxing. Yeah, you, it, and, like to be relaxed. But yeah. but that relaxation is artificial. You do realize that, right? Yeah, you're, but it, I also feel up. like I also feel like it it throws off my sensitivity to what I truly enjoy. Do you know what I mean? Like it does. It's yeah, it does. If I'm in my normal, natural, sober state, I can kind of tell like when I went camping this last time and, and I like developed some different friendships with people that I really value. And I also got out into nature and just like fucking threw the rest of my life away for a little bit and focused on the day to day of like, okay, what am I going to eat tonight? I need to cook this. I need to do these dishes. I need to, then I'm going to go for like a four hour hike. Like when I went there and I did that, I feel like part of the reason I enjoyed it so much was because of that, attention to detail that comes with sobriety was there and when i'm when i get high all the time it's like i'm just kind of like oh yeah whatever the fuck send me to auschwitz as long as i got some as long as i got my dab pen i'm good you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and it's, the, it just throws off that that thing that is the most important thing to the human condition which is our, our it's like jordan peterson says like pay attention pay attention yeah you know, you have to, you have to like pay attention. You have to care. It's just sometimes I don't want to care. 
like yeah. my shadow self right now. And I've been talking to my girlfriend and my family about this a lot, but I'm just like, literally all I want to do, I think about, I think about video games and I think about weed probably like 30 times a day right now. That's, that's it's addiction. And that's what happens with withdrawal. You're just going to withdrawal. Hold up. Yeah. It's charged. Okay. I'll, I'll grab it for you okay. a little bit. Oh my god. Um so with with me from my experience at least I realized cuz you have anxiety, right? It's essentially yeah. what you're describing. You have anxiety and weed helps makes you feel that you don't, right? And so but you have to understand that it's artificial. But things like lose the stigma that you have of meditation where i don't really have a stigma i just like well, i just you, you see i think at least most people's stigma how about that uh, maybe you don't have it but most people have this idea of meditation where they dread it and there's a reason you dread it is because your mind doesn't want you to do it because there's a bad spirit your shadow has a hold of you and it sees meditation as a way to it's going to rip the shadow from your mind and the, what meditation essentially is is just accepting whatever it is you're in. It's literally natural high is what you're trying to achieve when you're meditating. Right. You're not caring. You're in a state of not caring because when you're meditating, you're not doing anything. It's total relaxation. It's total, total uh, stress-free. Like that's the goal of meditation is you enter a state where you just don't care. The only thing you care about is your breath. And if you can forget about breathing, awesome. Most people can't, and that takes a long time to to obtain that kind of um, control. But right. this anger, this addiction, oh, like I just, I, you know, I all I care about is video games and smoking right now. It's like if you if you meditated and you allowed yourself and you trained yourself to learn to let go of that, and and at least for that thirty minutes or ten minutes, you're sitting there and you're just focusing on your breathing. Every time you start to think about something. Just let it go. And you realize I have access to this at any time. I have access to the state where I don't need to care. I don't need to be stressed out. And event that will carry over to into your into the rest of the day. Where you you let go of these attachments you have to these ideas. Like um, with smoking. You see smoking as an answer. That's why you do it. That's why anybody smokes. It's because it, they see it as an answer to a problem they have. And that problem might be anger, stress, um, discomfort. But what they don't understand is that they're actually making those, those symptoms way worse. Instead of addressing them and learning to disattach from them, they just hide them for two hours for long. I mean, and the more you smoke, the less, the less time you have in that state where you just don't care. So it, right. it's really a downward spiral. But what you need to do is you need to train your consciousness to do the exact opposite. Be so conscious, so in control that small things like like withdraw symptoms, which the like video games and smoking, those are physiological. Remember how we were talking about meditating with your body? Your body is talking to you and you think it's you. You're like, oh, man, I really need to smoke. I really need to play video games and I'm just so angry. You know, that's your body talking. It's your body telling you what to feel. But if you get to the point where you can control your mind enough to where you stop thinking, you can literally turn off thoughts, then in the day when you feel anger and you don't want to feel anger, you just turn it off. 
You just say, okay, I know how to do this. I know how to just turn off emotions. I know how to just turn off impulses and desires. Like with porn, if you get to the point where you can meditate and porn is a sexual desire and sexual desires is intense and deep. And so if you can get to the point where you can just release the idea that why do I want this? It's like you take control. Meditation is all about taking control and you get to the point where you take so much control that you just don't care. You can just turn off feelings about anything. Your mom dies. You don't, you cannot care. And that sounds so heartless, but what's the other option? Break down in tears and let your next two years of your life be sorrow and sadness because somebody, a human died. It's like, you know how many humans have died? You, you have to get over it at one point. At one point, life has to go on and you can either let that take five years or you can let it take two minutes. What, and what's better? I mean, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean be heartless and be cruel, but it just means feel your sadness and then understand that humans have to die and keep going. Or when a friend dies or when something bad happens, you lose your job, your girlfriend breaks up to you, your girlfriend cheats on you. These things that most people, it would incapacitate most people because their, their impulses that control them, you begin to control. Have you read, um, after you read Great Divorces, you should read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. He's the, he's the, one of the. Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, it's, cool. on, it's on my Kindle. Um, I don't know if you've, but he's a Stoic. Wasn't he, he's he a was pioneer a, of Stoic. He was, he was the Roman Stoic, right? He, yes, he was like an emperor, right? And yeah. uh, just a brilliant guy about, and he essentially describes Christianity and Buddhism and the language of the time you know so i don't know but at the no time, i'll definitely check it out yeah and it's all about it's all about control right you gotta be you gotta let the waves wash over you but not because at the end of the day your mind's like the ocean this was really this put me uh this was a good perspective your mind's like the ocean right and on the layer it might seem during a storm right and so think about impulses and urges and desires as storms and what happens is whenever a storm rages in the ocean the top might have 60 foot waves right like gigantic waves and it's raging and it's chaos and the ocean is swirling around and it's foaming and and on the top the storm on the top of the ocean it looks crazy but your mind if you just go down just a little bit, if you just go a little deeper, the ocean is totally calm. And in your mind's like that, is that maybe on the surface, it's raging. And you need to accept that. If your mom dies, your ocean, your mind is raging, right? You're feeling, you're in chaos, everything's coming apart. But at the same time, if you just go a little deeper into your mind, it's totally still. It's just the right. surface that's raging. And life will give you different storms. And, and your surface will rage and as it should. And you need to, you need to uh, respect that because storms are no joke. Waves are no joke. The ocean is powerful, but don't ever forget how deep your mind goes and how still it actually is. If you just go a little deeper. And, and so, I don't know. I think that's, I think that that's helped me a lot is realizing that, and especially with meditation is I realized there's a garden, there's a paradise inside my mind. And no matter what's happening to me, if I have the capacity to, to seclude myself or, or, or uh, into my mind, I can find peace wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing. There's, there's a stillness there. I literally, and it, it, for me, they call it your happy place, right? And you've heard that. Go to your happy place. Most people don't know how to go to their happy place. They don't even know what their happy place is. But for me, 
I'm underneath a tree on this hill with a sunset and the perfect breeze. And I'm just sitting there breathing. And as if I can go there, if I can go to this place in my mind, this, this perfect place, that's just total stillness. It doesn't matter what's happening on the surface. It doesn't matter what storm I'm facing. There's, there's always that place in my mind. And so whenever that eighth customer comes along and you want to freak out, just, just find out where, and you need to meditate in order to figure it out because it will come to you, right? You'll find, you'll figure out where that place is, but you do it until you try to obtain it. Just, uh, Oh my God, man. Yeah. 